It's not about how pretty or skinny or how long it takes for you to text back or how long you wait until you have sex. You don't lose the love because you didn't act a certain way or you didn't do something a certain way. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week, we're going to take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources to help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill. And if you're new to the show, welcome. My OGs, welcome back. This week, we are talking matters of the heart with such an incredible guest. Amy Chan is in the building this week. Well, not actually like in the building. We did record this remotely during quarantine, but like, you know what I mean. We actually did record this, I think, back in September, and I have been waiting patiently to release this episode in tandem with Amy's new, highly anticipated book that just came out this week. It's called Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart. We're going to take a close look at our dating patterns and our attachment styles in today's episode to get an understanding of why we date the people we do and how we act in relationships. We'll talk about why some of us can't help but to pick the wrong ones over and over again. We'll talk about how to reopen your heart if you've been burned before, dating mistakes that scare off potential partners, how to stop fixating on past relationships, and most importantly, how to get back in the game. There is so much in this episode. And honestly, there's something for everyone. I mean, like I'm not going through a breakup, but I learned a ton about my own dating patterns and how I show up in my current relationship from this episode. So hopefully you get as much out of it as I did. And if you do enjoy this podcast, quick reminder to hit the subscribe button on your phone right now before you forget, maybe even leave a little review, take a screenshot and post it on your Insta stories, or maybe just share it with a friend. I know when we start talking about our dating patterns in this episode, like I recognized a few of my friends' patterns right away. So I've already been sharing this one like crazy. And every time you share this podcast with a friend, just know that it helps the show grow. So big thank you to you. All right. Without further ado, let's get things started with Amy Chan. I love this one so much. I'm so excited you're here. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Amy 
we are talking about matters of the heart this week. So I'm here to tell you about something that is very near and dear to my heart, One Hope Wine. If you're a wine lover like me, chances are you'll be stocking up on lots of wine this month, whether you're curling up and watching Hallmark movies, entertaining friends, or just need gifts that you know people are going to love. So if you're going to buy wine this season, let it be One Hope Wine. Why, you ask? Well, for starters, One Hope gives back with every bottle sold with over $5 million donated to incredible causes around the globe. From building a school in Guatemala to providing 3 million plus meals for children in need, when you buy wine from One Hope, you know that your dollar is actually doing something good and making an impact in the world. Also, and this is important, One Hope is award-winning, incredible wine. Like I've done the legwork for you guys and sampled probably every single bottle of One Hope that there is. And they're all delicious. Like they have a female winemaker who is known in Napa for producing incredible wines. So just know when you're ordering, like you are getting quality when you buy from One Hope. Also, I mean, it just shows up to your door. And I can't stress this enough. Like when you start to order cases of wine to your door, the rest of your life begins. Like it is so nice to have a stockpile at home whenever you need it. And finally, another reason you should try One Hope right now is because they are having their biggest sale of the season. Right now, the more you buy, the more you save. So you're going to get 5% off when you order four bottles, 10% off six bottles, and 20% off 12 bottles. And you'll earn rewards with every purchase. Oh, also, if you head to onehopewine.com slash BKP and use code BKP10 at checkout, you're going to get an additional $10 off your order. Again, just head to One Hope, that's O-N-E, hopewine.com slash BKP and use that code BKP10 for $10 off your order today. Enjoy. Amy Chan in the house today. Amy, thank you so much for being on. I am so excited your book is coming out. I got to read this a little bit earlier. I got the the pre-edition. I got to check it out. And I think it is such an awesome book that I wish I had when I went through my last breakup. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh. So exciting. Honestly, like your book, I was kind of amazed by it because I know I went through like a really tough breakup before my current relationship that like rocked my entire world. And honestly, it took like years of self-development of like learning the tools to really like get over it and like open my heart again and like all of these things. Because it takes a little bit longer than I think people realize. And I was amazed that you had so many of these tools that like I literally it spent years uncovering, like put together nicely in a book. Yeah. <laughs> so it was thank amazing. You. What thank kind of, you. Yeah. What kind of gave you, you know, the idea to do this and like really what kind of like made this book happen? Yeah. So about nine years ago, I was uh, in a relationship where I thought this was my happy ever after. And back then, I um, my living the dream was uh, getting a 9-to-5 job, climbing the corporate ladder, getting married, being a housewife, having children, and being like the perfect wife to a CEO. And so really, that's what I was training for. I was training to be like the perfect girlfriend. So one day I could be the perfect wife to a CEO. And everything was going according to plan. 
And we were living together. We had talked about our future and maybe children. And then one day, that relationship crumbled quite quickly due to infidelity. And I found myself in fetal position in a puddle of tears, and I couldn't get myself out of that position. And I stopped eating. I went into depression. I had panic attacks. I was in a really, really dark space. And I had even contemplated um, suicide. And I couldn't recognize who I was. And I couldn't fathom the pain ever going away. And I think it's a very scary place to be because you can feel like you're totally normal and go through something like this. And you're just a few decisions away from doing something completely destructive to yourself or to someone else. And so it took me quite a long time to heal. And I did everything. I went to Reiki, I went to psychics, I did therapy, I did everything, yoga retreats. And through time, the the sting and the intensity of the pain started to subside, but I still had this resentment and this anger, like this chip on my shoulder. And my heart was closed for business, even if I said I wanted a relationship. And it was really, I dived into the tools, I dived into the research, and slowly but surely started to heal my heart. And people say that time heals all wounds. And I think you can probably resonate Time itself doesn't heal your wounds. Doing the work to look at why did you feel so broken? Mm -hmm. Um, Where was the compound trauma that happened before this last relationship? And healing that and going through all that dark and ugly and uncomfortable space to really be able to open up your heart again. I think that's what heals the heart, not just time. That is so well said and so accurate because it, it is true. I think like after like the trauma of a breakup, like that 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 pain, that initial pain is so raw and so real. And like it does kind of scab over. Like if we're thinking of like a regular wound, it does scab over. But like those wounds that you have, like they internalize. And like I'm even realizing that now. I'm like, I'm in, you know, an amazing relationship. Like I'm engaged and like, you know, want to be with my partner forever. And I'm like, wow, there are actually things from my past, like baggage that I have brought into this relationship that I definitely even still need to work through. And that's what's like so cool with like some of the stuff you talk about in your book because it's not just about getting over the breakup. It's about like really healing and so that you don't bring like in some of this baggage into your next relationship. Because it's easier yeah, said than done. <laughs> for sure. And I, I, it is easier said than done, but I do believe that there is a process and there are tools that if you learn them, it can take the getting back up not so... Um, not that it's not hard, but it doesn't need to take that long. It doesn't need to take years. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that anyone who's gone through a breakup or a heartbreak, I'm, I'm happy for that. I feel that a heartbreak is a rite of passage, right? You really go through this breakup, which is a shakeup. You sometimes need to redirect your life. And, and so I wouldn't take that experience away from anyone. So when someone comes to me and they're so heartbroken, I'm not feeling pity for them. I'm feeling excited for them because I know where they are heading to and the potential of what is going to be. However, I think that the suffering, the prolonged suffering is unnecessary. And they don't teach you these 
these tools in school. They don't mm-hmm. teach you how to deal with anxiety. They don't teach you how do you not lose yourself in a relationship when you've been socialized from a very young age as a little girl to be a pleaser, to edit yourself, to um, base your identity around a man and a plan of getting married and having children, living happily ever after. They do not teach you these tools. And then you go through a heartbreak and yeah, you feel broken and you feel crazy. And so that is why I do what I do. And I've written this book and I have this boot camp is because I am so sick and tired of women not reaching their potential because they are heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, that's why I'm so excited to have you here today because I kind of want to, I almost want to like take our audience through like a mini version of bootcamp and like go through some of the tools. Cause I, I'm a big believer in that. Like we can talk all day about like how great this is, but I actually want people to like see some of the tools that you talk about and that they can actually even, you know, try in their own lives. Um, and I, it's so funny, like even me going through this book, like I'm not going through a breakup. Like I'm, you know, in a, in a relationship now, like I actually found huge value in some of the things you were you were talking about. So I kind of wanted to get into it. And um, one of the coolest things... So I know in your book, you know, you started talking about when people come to renew your break, your actual breakup bootcamp, like they come to a retreat where they're there, they're immersed for a few days. And I loved... Like you kind of said something that was really cool is you were like, you see hundreds and hundreds of women come through these these this camp and like you almost can kind of define them into categories based off of their like relationship patterns and mm-hmm. i was reading through these categories and i i felt attacked <laughs> like i definitely like found mine i was like yep that's me and i was like looking through some of them i'm like that's my friend over here that's my other right. friend like i definitely think that they are super relatable so i thought it would be fun to kind of maybe do just do a quick little brief overview of some of these categories that you see you know i don't know if it's just the majority of women or if you would say this is everybody that they kind of fall into these dating patterns. Yeah. So I, and you know, not everyone fits into one category. And I'm sure as you were reading that, uh, you probably were like, oh, the overachiever, that's a bit of me. And the, oh, the pleaser, oh, I'm a little bit over here. So you, you kind of fit into multiple categories. But, um, you know, whether you are the overachiever, and I get a lot of these women, and, you know, breakup boot camp kind of self-selects, right? Because it does take someone who is like, okay, I want to get over it. And often they people who come to my boot camp, they're like, okay, I want to get over it. And like, how long is it going to take? How long is it going to take? And they get a super high-powered achieving woman that comes. They're and, like, I have a lunch at like yeah. 3 p.m. I would really like to get over this emotional trauma by then. Thanks. Totally. <laughs> totally. And you know, sometimes they're they're super powerful in their careers, or they're the super mom who have, you know, raised five beautiful, incredible children. Um, these are women who have spent their lives being perfect, being useful, being achieving and scoring high grades and then getting the promotions. And so when they go through a breakup, they feel like it's a fundamental failure and it is a complete mindfuck. And so I think that these women who have that overachieving part of them, um, they take it out almost like the hardest because there's an extra layer of shame that they're actually going through this pain mm. because in their world, they shouldn't, ha- they shouldn't be going through this. And the thing is the wound, whether you're the overachiever or you're the overgiver or the person who has spent your entire life pleasing other people, editing yourself so that you could be more likable and more lovable, or whether you're that person who feels unworthy of love and you're constantly trying to earn it by doing and by giving, 
they are all part of the same wound. You are adapting to a wound and a belief. And often that belief is, I'm not safe. I am not worthy of love. I am not enough. And so the way you adapt to that root belief of I am not enough can go into many different ways. But until we deal with what is that root subconscious belief, we can't really get to the healing because you've got to get to the nucleus. Mm-hmm. Would you say the, the nucleus of that is like when we start talking about like attachment theory, like that, like... I think attachment theory is a part of it. I think that there is one which is identifying what, what are the subconscious beliefs that are running your life. Mm-hmm. And it is very hard because often this is not at a level where you're aware of. For myself, I had no idea that I had a root belief of I'm not enough. If you were to ask me, I would say, I'm so confident. I kill it in my career. I have great friends. Um, I would never say that I had any issues with self-worth or that I felt I wasn't enough. But when I dug deeper and deeper and deeper, what I realized was as a very young girl, being the child of immigrant parents who were very busy, too busy to parent me, a father um, that never gave me any attention, except maybe if I got good grades, at a very young age, between zero to seven years old, your brain is like a sponge. You do not have the cognitive ability to understand that what is happening is not about you not being enough or you not being worthy. So I internalized, I am not enough. And I internalized that, oh, when I get good grades, I get some attention. I get a bit of love. And so what happened is I developed this belief didn't know and I adapted to that. And so I continued getting good grades. I always worked. I, I was always doing things to make my parents proud. And over time, you don't realize that that little belief is just there. It's the undercurrent of how you do relationships, of how you love, of how open you are on the partners that you choose. And that does bleed into your attachment style as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I kind of want to... I, I want to keep going through some of these other categories, but I definitely want to circle back to how you were able to go deep to uncover that because that's a whole other... It, 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 it's it's hard, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of work to really go down and understand, like get that kind of understanding to yourself. But before we get into that, I do want to cover up some of these other categories. So any of my listeners who hears themselves can be like, oh, oh shit, that's me. <laughs> so we have the overachiever, which sounds like you, ha- you have a little bit of the overachiever in you. And I know you mentioned briefly the pleaser. What would you like, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the pleaser? I know for myself, I've had both the overachiever and the pleaser in me. I would overachieve in my career. And then in my real intimate relationships, I would be a pleaser. And how that looked like would be, I would start off in a, whenever I was dating, as a strong, powerful woman. So the minute that I felt that the power dynamic was off in terms of how I felt towards someone and how they felt towards me, I would suddenly morph from this powerful, confident woman to submissive. And I would edit myself and I would pretend to be this person that I wasn't from being you know, super sweet to doting and nurturing and packing lunch bags and being like a sexual fantasy. Like I would try to be all these things. And the root of that was pleasing because I was so self-conscious and that if I didn't act the way I thought someone wanted me to be, they would not love me. 
Mm. And I never understood what love really was because love is something, love isn't something you need to earn. It's not about how pretty or skinny or how long it takes for you to text back or how long you wait until you have sex. You don't lose the love because you didn't act a certain way or you didn't do something a certain way. So that is the pleaser. And I think that it can manifest in even the the most overachieving ones of us. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, getting through these. Then there's the anxious type. I know a lot of these. (laughs) Right. The anxious is the one, and we'll talk about this when we talk about anxious attachment style, but this is the person who has this inherent fear that they're going to be abandoned or that they're not safe. And this person feels inherently unsafe. And that often happens from wounding in childhood. And so when they are in a relationship or they're dating someone, they kind of latch onto this person to feel safe and okay. But the reality is no one can ever make you feel safe. So they can never feel um, that they're kind of standing on a secure ground. Yeah. I always I always see this in my friends who are like, he hasn't texted me back since yesterday. And like, we were supposed to text me. He was supposed to text me last night before I went to sleep, but I haven't heard from, you know, it's like that kind of narrative. I'm like, oh, we've got an anxious on our hands. Um, then there's the closed heart. Right. So this is the person who's adapted to something very painful or traumatic. And this person swings the other way of the pendulum and completely becomes closed for business. And this person might come across like, I don't give a fuck and I don't need anyone. But really that is the same wound. It's the wound of being hurt and associating love with fear. Mm. So good. Okay. And then and then we're gonna we're gonna do more into this when we get into attachment styles, but I just love kind of going into these categories. Okay, and then we have the jaded person. Right. So the jaded person, kind of similar to the closed heart, but this is a person who um, is just so bitter. And so I find that this is a person who has a lot of compound trauma. And they have a belief system that uh, there's no good people out there. It sucks to date in my city. Um, I never meet anyone good. All men are pigs, all women are dogs, whatever it is. And they kind of walk around with these belief systems that cause them to approach life and love with bitterness. Mm. I'm just thinking of a certain girlfriends that should be listening to this. And you're right. There are like you, I definitely can relate to a couple of these two. Um, then there's the addict. This is, this is the, the last one that I have. Yeah. So the addict is the one who gets a, a rush from the lust phase of relationships. And the addict is actually, even though they might say that they want love or they want a relationship, they're actually very unavailable because they are so addicted to the highs. And so this can come across as they're addicted to the highs. And so they keep going from person to person because the minute the flames go away, the butterflies go, they're bored and they go to the next or they get, might get high off one person and they become addicted to one person at a time. Oh, this is so good. And what, what's really cool about this is like, I hope anybody listening to is, is, is getting this is like, these are patterns, you know what I mean? Like, so if you're, if you're somebody who is, I, I think it's cool that you've labeled these into categories because I think like people can kind of look at their past dating experience and be like, okay, which one of, you know, which one of these um, do I resonate with? Or what, what it, it is interesting when you start to like look at each one of these categories and like the, there is a pattern here, you know, that if you're consistently doing this, there is some type of underlying situation that is causing you to recreate these patterns. 
It's like, you're, you're not like broken. This yeah. is just like how we, <laughs> this is how we operate. But if, if you haven't been successful in relationships up to this point, it's worth taking a look at and saying sure. like, how can we reprogram this? Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, so cool. Okay. So I'm curious. So I know you, you kind of, we talked about you and how like you uncovered how, you know, you found that you were an, an, an overachiever mm-hmm. and how were you able to go back and kind of understand like what made you operate that way? Yeah. I think that it wasn't one thing. It was many. And I think One was understanding my attachment style and where that came from. And then it was really looking at these patterns that kept repeating and really digging deep as to why and getting to the nucleus of it, right? Because, you know, I I am guilty of it too. Like, okay, it took two hours for him to text me back. Fuck it, I'll take two days to text him back. (laughs) And I would learn all the things on how to manipulate and how to mind fuck someone into liking me or asking me out on another date. And even though on the outside, it appeared like I was all cool on the inside, I was fucking crumbling. And so, you know, I realized that there was only so much manipulation and tactics until you realize that you can't keep up this acting and this gig of being someone that you're not. And there comes a point when you just got to deal with what's really going on inside. Mm-hmm. And um, it took a lot of different things. I would say that from reading books to going through therapy, from doing psychedelics, all of these things helped me get to a place of like, okay, chip back into that belief system. What is the belief system? And every time I go through a boot camp, we do a belief cha- shifting exercise. And I find that every single time I'm finding a new belief that I'm working on. And I think that this is going to be a journey of your entire life because <laughs> we're really debugging ourselves. We're de- re- I think reprogramming ourselves to get back to a place of when we were innocent children and very connected to ourselves and to love. It couldn't be a better time to shout out one of our sponsors of the show, Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy to use app. Whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. I mean, overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions with their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus and increase your overall sense of well-being. And it is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. You guys have heard me talk about meditation before. I mean, I swear by it. I'm I'm someone who has anxiety on the reg and meditation has helped me get that shit a little more under control. And especially when I was first starting to meditate, Headspace was a great introduction. Like I love how they guide you through meditations to take the guesswork out of doing it. 
Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. It makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Just go to headspace.com slash big kid. That's headspace.com slash big kid for a free one month trial with access to Headspace full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal that they're offering right now. So again, just head to headspace.com slash big kid today. For anybody who is new to this, tell us a little bit about attachment styles and how they're developed. Like, where, what are they? And, like, why, how do we get them? Yeah. So, research shows that around the age of between two to five years old, we develop an attachment style, which will pretty much define how we relate romantically as adults. And um, this depends on, there's some researchers that say that part of it's predetermined, like right when you're in the womb. And some say it's completely from how you're socialized and how your parents took care of you. And so, and again, this is just a guide. I think that it's important to understand these different categories and where you might fall. Um, But this isn't like the Holy Bible, right? And your (laughs) attachment style can change and it does depend on your life situation and where you're at. There are three main types of attachment styles. There's secure, there's avoidant, and there's anxious. About 50% of the population falls under secure. This means that they are not afraid of intimacy. They're also not codependent. In the face of a conflict, they don't create a big catastrophe and say, oh my God, this relationship is over. They're able to go through conflict and the ups and downs of life with it more of an even keel and communicate their boundaries and their needs. Um, These are the people that have the highest chances of success and feeling of happiness and connectedness in their relationships. The next category is avoidant. And this is about 25% of the population. These are people who feel that intimacy is going to take away their independence and their autonomy. Now, the issue is a lot of people who have an avoidant attachment style do not think that there's a problem, nor are they cognitive that they're making this association. It is a subconscious association where they um, attach intimacy and love with, I'm going to get suffocated um, and I'm not going to have any freedom. And they subconsciously suppress their attachment system. So what happens is when someone gets a little bit too close, they will do uh, deactivating strategies, which will ultimately push someone away or keep someone at a distance. The way that people have an avoidant attachment style as an adult, generally it is said either they had parents that were very smothering, uh, they had parents that lived their achievements through their child, uh, or they enmeshed their child, meaning maybe there was a divorce in the family or the de- or death in the family, and no longer is this kid just being a kid. Suddenly this kid is the therapist to the mom or the person that has to take care of all the siblings and and step into an adult role. And so basically they grow up and they associate love with pain. Mm. And then the last category... Oh, before we, we, before oh. we get into the last category, yeah. what's funny is like, okay, I am totally an avoidant. Okay. 
<laughs> like that is totally my attachment style. Like even reading the book, I'm like, oh fuck, like this is me. But what's interesting is it's like, it's good to get an understanding of where you fall. Cause like, I remember when I first started learning about attachment styles, like I didn't, I thought I was just like pretty normal. And then I read the avoidant and it was like, oh, wait, this is a hundred percent me. And like, that's not great. Like it's not a great operating mechanism, you know? So I just want anybody out there to know if you're an avoidant, I'm right there with you. Okay. All right. What's our third one? All right. The third is an anxious attachment style. And this is the type that I normally work with because people who have an anxious attachment style take breakups the hardest. They have a tendency to associate their self-worth and their identity with the relationship and if their affections are being received and given back from their partner. So the validation of their partner can make or break them. Someone who has an anxious attachment style has a fundamental fear that they will be abandoned or rejected at any time. So they're also at a very young age able to tell if there's little cues of rejection and they have a very activated nervous system. And so they're constantly looking out for cues that the connection is going to be lost. And so what happens is as an adult, if they don't hear back via a text right away or you know, the the boyfriend or partner uh, starts liking someone else's photos. They take these cues as, oh my gosh, my relationship is in jeopardy. The connection is in jeopardy. And they tend to feel a lot of anxiety or even panic. And they will do what's called protest behavior. So they might respond, like I said earlier, oh, it took you two hours to text me back. Fuck you, I'll take two days. They will punish the person. They might hedge. They might like one person a lot. And because they're so antsy that their relationship might be in jeopardy one day, they will go and date or have sex with other people. They might reject someone before someone has a chance to reject them. Or if they're feeling anxious, and this is what I used to do when I was like in my early 20s, just call like fucking crazy or show up at the club and be like, oh, I don't know you're DJing tonight, even though you do it every Friday. Right. And then you adapt and you realize, oh shit, this is crazy. Then someone might, you know, call the cops on me for being a stalker. And then you adapt by being like, okay, fuck you. I'm just going to completely reject you. And so people get confused. Well, you know, maybe I'm going to avoid it because I completely cut people off. No, you might be an anxious masquerading as an avoidant. The way that you can really just kind of do a gut check is if you are afraid that you're going to be abandoned, rejected, you may be more anxious. If you are afraid that uh, intimacy will take away your freedom and independence, you may be more avoidant. And it is a spectrum. So it depends on the stage of life. If you are in a stage of life where there's a pandemic, you lost your job, you're living with your parents again, you and you have more of an anxious attachment style, your anxious attachment might be like totally high on the spectrum. Mm. If you're dating someone who's a high, high avoidant, you're probably going to be super, super anxious. So it really just does fluctuate and depend on life stage as well. That's really interesting because it's not even just your attachment style, but the attachment style of who you attach to might make your attachment style like fluctuate also. Yes. And anxious are drawn to avoidance and avoidance are drawn to anxious. Can we talk about that for a second? Because I think that is so fascinating. And like when I look back at all my relationships, because like I'm the avoidant and I always used to date anxious types. Right. Yeah, that's quite common. They were common. up in my shit. <laughs> right. So 
we, we've kind of discussed beliefs and how when we have beliefs, right, often they're subconscious, we will actually create a reality that's going to confirm our beliefs, right? And then we have what's called a homeostasis, what we're comfortable in, which is why if you feel you're unworthy of love, you'll likely sabotage relationships because you have an inherent belief you're uh, unworthy, unworthy of love. So if you have an, uh, an avoided attachment style, you have an inherent belief that uh, someone is going to encroach on your time and your space and your freedom. And so you are going to actually create relationships that's going to reconfirm your beliefs. And the same thing with anxious. You have a belief that people are going to leave and abandon you. You're going to choose people who is going to constantly prove that your belief system is true. Mm -hmm. And so that's why being aware of your attachment style and your tendencies is a first step of becoming more secure. I think that's so interesting, and especially like if you're if you're say one of these like let's say you're um, an anxious, and let's say you you start dating somebody, and you might be able to pinpoint to them, be like, "Wow, this person's pretty avoidant," you know, like maybe they're they're not texting me back, they're not checking in with me, they're kind of all over the place, like they don't like care about like what I'm doing, what I'm, you know, whatever it is. Like maybe that's a good thing to be aware of. And be like, maybe this is a pattern of mine. Maybe this is my anxious looking for that validation that like my worldview is correct and something that could be helpful, you know, before you get sucked too, too far into a relationship to kind of be aware of. Totally. I think that if, if you have a tendency to be more anxious or more avoidant, one of the ways to become more secure is to choose secure partners. And so if you, if you are, meeting someone and you notice that they start having avoidant tendencies and you tend to have more anxious tendencies and they're extremely avoidant, you might want to say in date two, cut it and be like, you know what? I'm not, I don't need six months to a year of just re-wounding the same wound. I got to work on healing this wound, right? And then once you become more secure and you date someone who might have some avoidant tendencies, the, it's not like a big stab anymore. You're like, oh, I know what's going on but I inherently feel pretty safe. And so someone not texting me back within two hours doesn't cause you to spiral out of control because at that point you're like, oh, you know, you're able to put some space between how you used to react and you can respond in a different way. And so understanding what your triggers are is extremely important and start visualizing and creating a strategy of what you're going to do differently the next time you're going to get triggered because it's inevitable that you will. Yeah, that's 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 really good to do, I think. And like like you said, just being aware of what your triggers are. Right. <laughs> so important. I was going to ask cuz you 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 kind of mentioned this, but so you can move your attachment style. It's not something 100%. that you're stuck with, which I think is really important. How how do you go about doing that? So for anybody who who might like recognize themselves and like, you know, maybe they're not secure attachment cuz that's the goal, right? It's like you want to be secure um and not, you know, avoidant or um anxious. How do you move to, towards more of that secure attachment style? Yeah. So I used to be hardcore anxious attachment style. Uh, and now I'm what's called an earned secure. And research shows that about 30% of the population do change their attachment style. And so there's a few different layers of this. One, I mentioned earlier, choosing secure partners. Number two, write down what are your main triggers? How do you react right now? And what is a healthier response on how mm. you respond the next time you're triggered? And it's important that you identify this when you're in a non-activated state because when you are activated and your, um, your 
nervous system is in survival mode, all that shit goes out the window. So you need to have a game plan before the trigger happens. And then you practice that. The third thing, if you have an anxious attachment style, what you want to do is when you start feeling that surge of panic and anxiety, you need to do a state change. There's no positive mantra or talking yourself through a panic attack or you know this anxiety spiral. You actually have you're flooded with cortisol and adrenaline and you need to get that shit out of your body. So one of the quickest ways you could do it, put your timer for two minutes and shake from head to toe. You shake and you shake and you shake. And this is what animals do in the wild. And that actually helps all that stress um, hormones go through your body. Um, After that, then you figure out what is your system to calming down and whether that's meditation or some other mindfulness practice that you have. And lastly... Wait, I love the shaking one. So like I do this, but you could just dance. You can totally dance. It's really just moving your body from head to toe and shaking so that the cortisol and adrenaline can move through your body. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. Like people might, you might look a little ridiculous, but it works. I remember when I, I was like on vacation with my boyfriend um, and I was like suddenly feeling my anxious attachment. He didn't do anything. I was just getting triggered. And I knew I'm like, this is one of my triggers. I went to the bathroom and I just started doing jumping jacks. <laughs> And then I did this calming like meditation thing and I came back and I was fine. But you have to practice it because you need to learn how to self-soothe your, your nervous system so you can feel okay again by yourself versus latching onto someone else to make you feel okay. And so whether you're avoidant or you're anxious or you're secure, learning how to self-soothe yourself is one of the biggest tools you need for being an adult. Yeah, yeah, in all in all stages of life, it, it's so interesting too. Because I think not even just in romantic relationships, but I feel like a lot of us have these attachment styles, like in all of our relationships, like friendships. Yeah. Like I, um, when I was reading your book and I was reading more about avoidance, because I've known I'm an avoidant for a while, but I was even thinking this. I'm like, wow, like I'm even this way with my friends. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm like, oh shit, like because I think one of the things that I read that I was like, oh, this is this is pretty accurate. It's like we don't feel the need to check in with people. So we don't, we don't, we don't assume people are going to be checking in with us, you know? And I'm like, I always forget to check in with friends. Like, I'm like, Hey, I'll call you right back. And then they don't hear from me for three months. Right. Yeah. So we might have a different relationship with time. Yes. A hundred percent. So that's like one of those things to like being aware of and then like choosing differently. Like I'm now like, I'm like, okay, I know that I'm shitty at that. So I need to take steps to be better because my other my other relationships, they don't operate the same way that I right. do. So like maybe I need to, you know, on Tuesdays when I'm like driving to yoga, make my driving time like times where I call my friends. Right. You know? yeah. I just like, it's just being aware. And I think it's really cool too. You know, you, you talked about like when you're on vacation and like you went to the bathroom to shake, like, like having those conversations with the person you're with about your attachment style. Like that's been a huge thing in my relationship is just like, you know, my partner knows that I'm an avoidant and Mm -hmm. knows when I'm acting up. And like, we, you know, kind of have like put things into place to help protect against that. Because normally like when I used to get into a fight with him, I would just disappear for like five to seven business days. You know, (laughs) I would just like peace out. And so he's like, you know what? That doesn't work for me. So now you get like a day. And we just have, we just put systems in place. So I think it's, it's interesting when you get into this attachment stuff, like, getting an understanding for yourself, getting an understanding for also the people that you care about. Yeah, for sure. So fun. I could talk attachment style (laughs) all day long. (laughs) It is so much fun. 
quick break to talk about our awesome sponsors who make this show possible. Guys, tis the season to treat yourself and give yourself the gift of a good night's sleep with a Helix mattress. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So Helix offers a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot and even a Helix Plus mattress for our plus size folks out there. I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with the Midnight Luxe style because I sleep on my side and move around all night long. And let me tell you, the whole fam loves it. Me, my fiance, my dog, we're all falling asleep faster and disturbing each other a lot less. And I have to say, I love how convenient the whole thing was. Like I didn't have to put on pants and go to a mattress store or talk to people. I mean, no thanks. Our Cali King was delivered right to our door. Easy peasy. I am a big fan of Helix, obviously, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So if you're ready for a better night's sleep, just go to helixsleep.com slash big kid. Take their two minute sleep quiz and they're going to match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I have a feeling that you will. So as a partner of this podcast, Helix has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows at helixsleep.com slash bigkid. So if you're in the market for a new mattress, definitely take advantage. Again, just head to helixsleep.com slash bigkid. With Third Love, you can find your new favorite bra with high quality, comfy styles starting at just $45. Guys, boobs come in all shapes and sizes and finding the perfect bra is harder than it sounds. That's why I love Third Love's Fit Binder Quiz, which helps you find your perfect fit based on breast size, shape, and past bra fit issues all in about 60 seconds. They offer more than 80 different sizes from cups double A to I, including half cups cups and bands from sizes 30 to 48. Okay. I never knew you could get a bra in a half cup size. (laughs) I took their quiz and it turns out I'm in that half cup size range, which makes sense because I've always had to buy bras in different sizes, like not knowing which one I truly am. I also love how comfy these bras are. I mean, every third love bra is made with signature memory foam cups, no slip straps, and a scratch free band. They are also just super lightweight and really cute looking. Like I'm used to wearing the same old frumpy bra and trust me, my fiance is very excited about this partnership. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering my listeners 10% off your first order. If you order and don't absolutely love it, every customer has 60 days to return it. So it's pretty risk-free. So just go to thirdlove.com slash BKP now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's thirdlove.com slash BKP for 10% off today. (laughs) 
Okay. But I did want to talk about some other dating things. And I think it is, it is really cool when we, we talk about, well, I, just, I could literally sit here and talk about attachment style all day. Um, but breaking free is possible, right? Before we jump into anything else, like it is possible to break free and rid yourself of some of these, these bad behaviors. For sure. And I think finding different healing modalities that work for you is important. And it's not going to be one thing, right? It's not going to be one ayahuasca trip or one book. I tried hit, uh, hypnosis. I found that very helpful. I did do psychedelics on like a very like guided journey to work on my sense of feeling safe. Which psychedelic? Um, was a mushroom, it, yes, magic mushrooms. And it was done like <laughs> in a ceremony, you know, eye mask on for seven hours with the shaman, a whole thing. That's amazing. Um, and I've done traditional therapy. I've, I've read books. I've written about it. I've had to go through uncomfortable conversations to talk about it versus withdrawing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's all of these things that you do that add up. It's all these little steps. It's never going to be this one thing. There's no magic pill that's mm -hmm. going to suddenly make you secure. Yeah, it is. It's an, it's an ongoing journey. Yeah. <laughs> another another ongoing journey I I kind of want to touch on too is this is something that you wrote about is just like your chemistry compass ah. and like the people that you you know gravitate towards and this right. I mean kind of goes into um into attachment too I'm sure like you said like you know avoidance will usually gravitate towards anxious and you know what have you but let's say like your chemistry compass is broken right <laughs> let's you know because I've heard this from certain girlfriends they're just like you know the guys that I keep getting attracted to the same same type of guy and it's not working out like what do you tell us a little bit about your compass and like how to work with that yeah so human beings like what is familiar and if you grew up with a model of love by witnessing your parents and your family, and it was a dysfunctional one, maybe your mother was trying to earn love, maybe your father was unavailable, whatever it was, you grew up with something that you're comfortable with, right? For myself, I was comfortable with trying to earn love and doing more in order to get it. So that became my model, right? My father was a very unavailable entrepreneur, gave me like little like crumbs of affection here and there. And guess what happened when I grew up, right? I first started dating DJs and party promoters, like, you know, like hoping they would pick me at 3am if I got them drunk enough. Um, and then, you know, in my 30s, I was like, you know, something more respectable. I'm going to go uh, after tech CEOs. Yeah, those guys. No pattern here. But yes, the pattern is exactly the same. I was dating unavailable men who liked me just a little, maybe if I convinced them enough, but never, ever enough. I was always starving on crumbs. I was never satiated. And it wasn't that these guys were just pure assholes, right? In the beginning, it was very easy for me to go with my friends and be like, what a fucking asshole, what a dick, narcissist. And then I was like, wait a minute, this has happened 30 times. I think the <laughs> common denominator is my patterns. And so I think that when I started to realize there was a type and that type isn't so much in like, oh, he has to be five, six foot five or whatever that is. The type is an emotional experience. And that is what you need to look at. What is the emotional experience that is common in your last few relationships? And you might find, oh, I'm always overgiving. I'm always resenting that I'm not on the priority list. Whatever that is, is a signal of a wound of when you were a child. And that means you may have a broken chemistry compass because you're drawn to what is familiar 
failure. And so your chemistry compass is pointing you to people who can wound you the exact same way you were wounded as a child. Dude, it's it's so wild. And like, it's so, I see it. I mean, it definitely happens. It's so accurate. And like, how do you, how do you ignore your compass? Cause that's like the hard part. It's like you, you're drawn to certain people and it's like, damn, that DJ, like, no, like we really do have a connection. Can you like trick your compass? Like, can you like, cause it is hard. I, and I, I've heard my girlfriend say this. It's like, yeah, well, like I try to date the nice guy, but I just don't have any chemistry with him. Yeah, I hear that all the time. That used to be me as well. I have totally rewired my chemistry compass and I did an experiment on myself. And so it does work. And something to understand is you don't go from zero to hundred. You don't go from uh, relationships that are based on in chaos and ambiguity and anxiety to healthy and loving and stable. It doesn't work that way. You need to actually build your tolerance to healthy. And so you're the very, like in my own experiment, what I did was I said, okay, I clearly have a pattern here and I'm finding the nice guys boring and I'm going to eventually be 50 years old and continuously being heartbroken the exact same way. I got to do something about it. And what I did was I said, okay, for the next couple of months, I'm going to be open-minded to dating anyone who not absolutely anyone, but anyone who was (laughs) actually interested in dating me. Number one, not someone I had to convince. Number two, seemed healthy and available. And if they met those requirements, I didn't care how how tall they were, uh, you know, if they were an entrepreneur or they're nine to five, I was like, fuck that list. I'm just going to go off that. And so I did. And I went on dates and I even started to match with people on dating apps that I would never normally ever choose. And I went on dates with a bunch of different people and I gave myself always two to three dates with them. And after like guy six, I was like, oh my God, this isn't working. You're so boring. You're so nice, but you're boring. I don't like you. And then one of the guys who I had met earlier in the beginning and I had zero chemistry with, and I even said straight out, I'm like, hey, totally down to hang out, but I don't feel an attraction. I didn't know that you do. So if you're cool to hang out as friends, we're cool. And he's like, yeah, I just want to get to know you as a human. So it was like our seventh time hanging out. And this is probably month seven into this experiment. We're having dinner. And I remember this one moment when I looked across the table and I was like, oh, <laughs> you're handsome. And just like that, that chemistry I felt. And my experiment did work because all those other men that I dated started to build my tolerance, my familiarity with what does healthy feel like? What does it feel like when someone is showing up for you? What does it feel like when someone actually is interested in connecting with you and building a relationship with you? And I wouldn't have never gotten to a point where I would have felt this chemistry with this person if I didn't have those ones before. And here's the tricky thing about chemistry. We are taught in movies and fairy tales, that love is when you just feel it right away and you lock eyes Mm -hmm. and soulmate alarm bells run off. That's not the case. Love can be sparked from three different parts of the brain. The mating drives of lust is just one. Mm -hmm. And there's other mating drives. And what happened with this person was I got to know him as a person. I got to get to know his soul, his character. And eventually what happened was then it sparked the mating drive of lust. So it can happen in different ways. And my advice to people out there is 
don't be so quick to write people off. Try your own experiment of dating people that you normally wouldn't date because they're outside of your type. Build your tolerance of what does healthy feel like. There's so many good things in there that I just love so much. And it is so true because that's like one of the, what's one of the like the most problematic like storylines that I think we've all been fed is like, when you just see them, you'll know, you know, like I think we all watch Disney movies. We all watch Sex in the City. We all saw all this shit that put this thing in our mind that we're like, oh, we're supposed to know right away. And that wasn't my experience. I mean, kind of similarly, like I, you know, I, I was attracted to my fiance, but I wasn't like, this is my future husband. The second I saw him, that shit takes time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I love, you know, I love, I love the idea of giving people a chance because I, I do, I, I feel like, you know, it is easy to just like write people off and be like, chemistry's not there. But I love how you handled it and that like you kind of like set the precedent. Like you told the guy like straight up, like you weren't stringing him along by going no. on numerous dates. You were just like, look, I don't really feel it. Um, but you continued to get to know each other. So I really, I really like that. And I wish I would have known that back in my, back in my dating days. So I, I think that's great advice. Yeah. I think if people are, if you ask yourself, is my chemistry compass broken? And the way that you could tell is look at the last three to four people that you've either dated or had a relationship with. And if those relationship outcomes were negative or toxic or unhealthy, then it's chances are your chemistry compass needs some tinkering. And if that is the case, that then you know that something is off. So when you feel that, you know, 10 out of 10, oh my God, I want to rip your clothes off. That's not love. That's probably a wounding pattern where your wounds recognize their wounds. And you're like, oh my God, we can have this fucking wounding party together. That's when you go, oh my God, I need to stay away. But because we've been fed those storylines since we've been very young, we think, oh no, no. When we get that 10 out of 10, that means green light. No, it doesn't. It means red light. <laughs> that is such like a different thing that I think a lot of us would like think is real. You know, I think like everybody thinks it's a green light and then you're so right. There is like, it has a uh, room for issues to be happening. I know you mentioned this too. And I, I like how you were talking about like your list and how you were like looking for like good qualities in another person. And it wasn't necessarily that they were six, five, but I do hear this repeatedly. And I was guilty of this. And I know my friends are guilty of this, of having these like, really, you know, kind of crazy, almost impossible list of qualities that they're looking for in another person. And you talked about this a little bit in your book. I mean, I have girlfriends that like literally are like, they need to check off like, okay, he needs to have, you know, uh, make at least six figures. He needs to be a certain height. He needs to, you know, have, be a former athlete. Like there's all like, all of, all of these have like these different types of requirements. And I know you talked a little bit about this in your book about like how to change things that you're looking for. So I'll, I'll let you talk about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I've been guilty of having my list as well. And then I would meet people who would fit the requirements of my list and still feel empty. And and it's fine if some people have a list and they meet someone else has a list and they get together. I, there's a lot of relationships out there that are like that. But this is a that's a cognitive process, right? You're using your brain to access as if you are, you know, I don't know, scoring, you know, picking a salad, right? Okay, has tomatoes. Okay, has brown eyes, you know, makes six figures. Okay, check, check, check. That's all a cognitive process. Love is not about your brain. Love is about your heart and it's an energy. 
And so um, I think that's where we are really diluting ourselves from creating these partnerships that can be so fulfilling is you're dating a list or you're trying to find a list and that isn't ultimately going to make you feel fulfilled. I used to only date men who were entrepreneurs and making a lot of money because I thought I could up up level my own lifestyle. And I actually went to a psychic who said to me, the most important thing for you isn't about the money or you know how powerful this person is. A heart connection is the most important for you. So you need to prioritize that on the top of your list versus how much money they make. And that was a total slap in my face. I was like, holy shit, that's so right. And um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's hard to, and I'm interested how you did this in your experiment because it's one thing when you're like meeting people out in the wild, but I think a lot of us date these days through apps. So it can be hard to like tell a lot about somebody's character. And you are kind of basing them off of these like, you know, qualities that you can only really see, which makes it tough. So I'm interested when you went through your experiment where you were like trying to go out with people who didn't like necessarily go with your chemistry compass, like how did you how did you find those people like how, what was your criteria for kind of weeding that out on the apps yeah it was a combination so once i actually set my intention on like i'm open to this i started to notice people i normally didn't notice within my own community and network and so that automatically shifted some things i had some friends that reached out to me and was like hey like would you be open to like trying to see if this could be romantic. Who knows? Did I manifest it? I have no idea. Was I giving off a different vibe? Maybe. So there was that part. Um, And then the second part was just being on the apps. And normally it's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) And then this time I was like, you know what? Like, okay, maybe. And look, I'm not saying that you go out and you date someone that you absolutely loathe or you think it's ignoring or you think it's disgusting. That's not what you want to do. You don't want to go to the other side of the pendulum where you're like dating people you have zero, zero chemistry with. But what I'm saying is chemistry is not necessarily going to be processed in your brain as romantic right away. All you need to do is ask yourself, am I having a good time? Do I want to see this person again? That is it. If the answer is yes, then you go on a second date, and then a third. And you might be surprised that later on, you will realize that, oh, this is a romantic chemistry. Mm. So you don't need to categorize where that chemistry is right away. Yeah. I feel like we're so guilty of that, especially because all of us, especially if you've been dating for a really long time, you know, you might get to a point you're like, you literally sit down at the date. You're like, within five minutes, you're like, nope, I don't think he's my husband. Let me go. You know, like I, I literally talk to my girlfriends that like are just so tired of dating that they want to like get through as many guys as they can because of like, it's, it's quote unquote, a numbers game. Right. So I, I love that. Like not putting that so much pressure on that initial connection, I think is huge. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we've talked a lot about like, obviously, you know, our patterns, you know, why we attach the way that we do and all of this, like going into picking a a potential partner. I wanted to get onto this quickly before I lose you about like, once you're actually dating somebody, I know because you've seen this too in a lot in a lot of your boot camps is a lot of the dating mistakes that you see people making all the time. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned one specifically to me before this that I was like, oh my God, we have to talk about that. When you talk about fake dating, 
Can you, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? So I'll introduce fake dating by sharing a story of one of the women I was working with who was uh, in a relationship with someone for two years. However, you, the, guy, the audience couldn't see that, but you just did air quotes. I did air quotes. Okay. <laughs> There's air quotes around relationship because she was in a relationship for two years, but the guy had no idea. So, and, and that's of the extreme, right? And so when we fake date, that means we're giving the girlfriend experience or for any men listening out there, the, the boyfriend experience before the person has even committed that they are having that sort of a relationship with you. But whether you're, you know, future tripping about your fantasy together, or you want it so badly, or you have so much love to give, you just want to give it to this person, that might make you think that you're dating someone when they're not actually even dating you. And so, um, I, and I see this a lot. And I see, um, because I work with most all women, I see women who are, are just there on the sidelines. And even though they don't want casual, but it's the only thing that the guy is willing to do, they'll just hang on and be like, because that's the best that they can get. And they would rather have casual and not have what they actually fully want because they're so scared of losing that person when they never even had the person in the first place. And so, yeah, that's fake dating. It is... Um, I think giving three steps when that person is taking one step and that power imbalance, it doesn't even out. You set precedent and that power imbalance just gets more and more and more. And you become a convenience while they are off. And not that these are bad people. They're off like continuing their life. And then they meet someone who they decide they're going to real date with. And you're completely destroyed because you're like, oh my God, what happened? How do you like keep from getting there? Because you might be like, you might be talking to somebody for a while. Like, would you say that you need to put like a time limit on this shit? Like what, like, what would you say for somebody who might find themselves in a similar situation where you're like, well, we've been keeping it casual for a while now. Like what, what are some signs that you maybe need to like exit stage left? Yeah, that's a great question. There's, there's two parts to my answer. One is you don't want to go into meeting someone and right away be like, I want a husband and I want children and I have two more years until it's done. Are you, are you in, are you out? That is like conquesting. And when you're conquesting someone, you're not treating them like a human or enabling an environment for connection to grow. You're treating them like an object to fill your game plan. And that feels really fucking shitty to someone. So don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, but if you've gotten to know someone and the connection is growing and there's rapport, when do you have that conversation? And I think that there isn't a set time. I think that you need to be really honest with where you're at. After a period of time where there's a connection established and you want more, have open conversation because if the guy or the girl is interested in building the connection and building a relationship with you, you bringing it up and having communication around what you want and your needs or your boundaries is not going to make someone like you less or love you less. And I think that's what we have. The issue is people are editing themselves mm -hmm. and not communicating because they think, oh, if I just express that... I'm going to get less love. They're not going to love me enough. You never had love in the first place. If you communicating what you want or you communicating your boundaries is going to cause them to love you less. That doesn't happen. Yeah. It is. It's an interesting balance between like, like you said, not conquesting, not at the upfront being like, these are my requirements for entry. <laughs> 
you know, but it is like you want it. But if you have been seeing somebody and you want to continue seeing them, like making those kind of boundaries clear. Yeah. I think communicating what you want, not in a way that you are giving an ultimatum or you're nagging the person, but having an honest conversation. Hey, where you're at? Where am I at? Does this align? And the second thing is understanding power dynamics. We are all creatures that are privy to the psychology of power and how things start off generally are going to stay the same. So if you show up in a relationship and date one, it's even you like that person a little, they like you a little person, a little date two, same thing, it's growing. And then date three, you're feeling insecure. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm turning 35. And then suddenly you're fantasizing about your future and your children and your emotions start to skyrocket. Your feelings start to skyrocket and they're not the same anymore, right? So you're, you're feeling like a mismatch of, of feelings. What happens at this time? What I have witnessed women do, and I've done this myself, is instead of being like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a breather and kind of let this play out Instead, you put your foot to the gas pedal and you're like, zoom, I'm going to give more. I'm going to please more. I'm going to do this. Like whatever it is, I'm going to earn their love and maybe they'll want to commit to me. And guess what happens? When you show up giving 80%, you're only leaving the other person 20% to give back to you. Mm. So I think if you have tendencies of doing that in your past, you need to really look at your balance. And your if someone is taking one step for every three to four that you're taking, fucking dial it back. Don't bake them that pie. Don't go out of your way to drive to the suburbs for that day. Just fucking pause. Listen to this podcast (laughs) on repeat. On repeat. Seriously. That's such like, I'm so glad we brought that up because especially like, you know, women in our thirties, like I feel like that is such a good dynamic that happens and it happens naturally. And I totally understand why we want to see where it's going to go because like, we feel like this, um, this time, you know, like we all have this window of time and we're like, we need to fucking figure it out. My eggs are where they're at, (laughs) but I do think it's so important to check yourself. So I love, I love that. And to not, and also like, okay, what would you say if, you know, let's say you're date three, date four, and you really see a future there, but the person is not really like, maybe you even have that conversation and the person is not totally there to commit. Like, do you, are you, do you kind of take the stance of like, well, okay, well, that's where this is where I'm at in my life and I really want commitment or do you continue to play it out and maybe date other people? Like, what would you say is like, maybe the smart thing to do in that scenario? Yeah. I mean, I think it's totally dependent on your situation, right? If you are completely dead set. No, I really want to date so that I can create a partnership and create a family. And you're with someone who's clearly not in that stage. More time, I don't think is going to change their mind. And so at that point, you might say, you know what? We just want different things or your values might be different and you can't change that. You have, And it doesn't matter. You might like that person a lot. That doesn't mean you should choose to invest in that person as your future partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and there might be like, hey, I'm enjoying spending time with this person. It doesn't seem like they want a relationship, but this is still feeling really good. And like, it's making me feel like connected and juicy and like, you know, maybe I can keep dating other people as well. If you're, if your light is still like on fire and it's feeling bright, keep fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. It's when you don't check in that your light is being dimmed and only you can figure that out by assessing where you're at. 
Yeah, I like I like taking a second to assess. And I've all, I've actually given that advice to girlfriends too who are like dating guys that like they don't think are like all in. I'm like, keep dating. I'm like, go on other dates. And you know what? I have one friend that literally started dating like around and started dating another guy. And the guy that she was with that she really liked quickly turned that shit around when he knew that he had the the possibility of potentially losing her. Yeah, so, I've seen that happen too. Yeah, so funny. Okay, so two quick things because I really wanted to hit these. I know we're coming towards the end of our time. I could literally sit here and like talk to you about dating for three days like without showering. <laughs> There's so much here. But I did get this question on Instagram. Um, and this is like, we could literally have a completely separate podcast and we might need to about this one question, but I couldn't have you, the author of Breakup Bootcamp on this podcast without asking. This person said like how to get over being fixated on an ex. Mm. So that fixation, not necessarily getting over an ex, but like we, I think we've all been there or at least I know I have where it, it gets from being a breakup to being fixated. Mm. You know, like there is definitely a difference. For sure. Yeah. We can get addicted to people and sometimes holding on to even the pain and the suffering of the relationship, it's all that we've got left. So we hold on to that and we keep retelling the story over and over again to ourselves and to our friends and analyzing the situation of what could have been, what I should have done. And really, it's just about where you're putting your focus. And so, yes, this is easier said than done. But this, is, this isn't about how amazing this person is. This is an issue about your focus. And when all of your focus and energy is going towards your ex, analyzing it, uh, missing the person, all of that, you're not creating space for a new future to bloom. And so I think that it's going to take multiple steps. One is getting your sense of community and connection in other ways, getting your fix of dopamine in other ways. Because after a breakup, you're, you might cognitively know that this relationship is over. Your body doesn't. Your body is used to getting dopamine and oxytocin, all these feel-good chemicals from this relationship. So when it's over, your body's like, what the fuck's going on? Go get it. Go look at their Instagram so you can get that hit of dopamine. That's why you're obsessing because it's your way of actually getting hits of dopamine. So you need to find other ways and create a strategy on how you're going to get those feel-good chemicals in a healthy way. And it's going to be from volunteering to being in community to making new friends. All of these things are all going to add up. And, and then really trying to redirect your focus on what is going to keep your light bright. And when you're fixated on an ex, you're in a fantasy because you're, in, you're not in reality. You're in a fantasy world of what could have been and what should and what you missed and what you want to happen. And so you need to create a new fantasy, a fantasy that's going to light you up. Maybe that's taking a dance class. Maybe that's writing a book, whatever that is. But redirect that focus into something that lights you up because that is going to take away the obsession. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And one way you could find out more of these tactics is by reading your book. Yes. <laughs> shameless plug, shameless plug. Um, no, these are... You, you were chock full of so many good ideas and um, 
strategies. And obviously, it's not just ideas. It's like you've lived through these. I mean, you've lived through this. You've walked so many women through um, this too to help them get onto the other side. Um, one last question I wanted to leave off on. And because um, this is just one... I, I, I feel for anybody who is just really tired of dating or somebody who's trying to get back in the game after COVID. I mean, this is like such a tough time to be in the dating game, you know, like after months and months of, you know, being holed up. But maybe, or just maybe somebody who just wants to like reopen their heart. Maybe they feel like their heart's been closed for a while. Like what would your, be your advice for somebody? Yeah, great question. We could say that we have an open heart and we want a relationship, but on a subconscious level, it's closed. And so sometimes when we've gone through a traumatic breakup or heartbreak, we associate love with pain. And even though you might be over your ex, you're not open because you were so traumatized with what that pain did to you. Maybe you felt broken or the rug was ripped out from underneath you. I think that when you survive a breakup and you get to the other side, you realize that it didn't kill you. You realize that it just stretched your emotional range. It, you realize that it made you even more human and that, that that pain, that depth of despair makes you even more connected to your own humanity and to other women who've gone through the same thing. And you realize like it didn't break you. You were bruised. And so when you really say to yourself, like, I have the self-soothing tools to get back up. I have the resilience. I have the community. I know I'm going to be okay because I'm fundamentally inherently okay and I'm safe. You can start to love without that fear because you know that even if you were to get hurt or disappointed, you get back up and you'd get back up again. And I say this in my book, and it's something I believe so much. Our greatest lesson in this lifetime is to practice opening our hearts, even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. And when I, before I met my partner, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I, I now know, like, I have the tools, like, I'm go totally fine. If I get heartbroken, I'll be all right. Like, I'll get back up. And I dated this guy. I met on an, a dating app and I was like, oh my God, this is it. Like, spiritually, intellectually, all the things. And I'm like, heart open. And it didn't work out. And I was fucking crushed. And I remember in front of like my, my mirror, I was sobbing one day. And I'm like, I don't get it. I'm like, I help women. I'm a good person. I'm like, why is this happening to me? And I remember in that moment, I remembered that quote. And I was like, fuck this. I am not going to let a, a guy that it didn't work out with, not because he's an asshole or anything like that, just because someone didn't fit with me. I'm not going to let that make me close up because mm. I'm strong. Mm. And I'm like, you know what strength is? opening it up even more. Even when it fucking hurts, I'm going to open up even more. And I challenged myself and I actually went back on the dating apps and I kept going and I met my partner who I'm <sighs> with now. I love that. I love that so much. Is there anything that you do specifically? Like when you... Because I that's like something I've learned to do. And especially like as an avoidant, I'm like, I know like my heart like will just... I build a fortress around it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I... And I sometimes I can feel I'm like, oh my God, there goes the fortress. It's buckling down, you know, like what's happening. Do you have any like things that you do specifically to like help ease and open your heart? Like any like little like hacks that you have? It's definitely uh, about self-compassion. I would, I would, if you have a tendency to withdraw, to close up, I would really start 
a self-compassion practice. And you can do this through just doing guided meditations. Kristen Neff is an incredible thought leader in this, but it makes you, you know, you, you visualize um, different scenarios that enable you to start opening your heart. And the thing is, self-compassion is a muscle that you build. It's not something that you just, you're born with, you have it or you don't, but the more you cultivate it, the more you have it. And it's very challenging to have compassion for an ex or, you know, for the world when you don't have compassion for yourself. That is the very first thing I would start with. And it seems like, oh, that's so easy. Just love yourself. But it's not. It's actually a practice. It's something that if you do every single day, you do a self-compassion meditation and visualization. If you do every single day for a month, you will feel different at the end. Your energy and your state will be different at the end. And that will have an impact on how people are responding to you and how people are magnetized to you. That positive feedback loop starts to change your behavior and then it all goes. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I'm going to actually get that meditation from you or something like whatever, whatever any any resources anything you have um, I'll link it in show notes for our people yeah. I will link it in show notes for our people and I'm obviously gonna link your book in there as well like uh, guys I'm telling you I am like an almost married lady and I read this and I loved it there is so much applicable information in here tools exercises this is a great book Amy so thank, thank you. you so much for being on the show anywhere else people can find you if they want more from you. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Miss Amy Chan um, or Renew Your Heart and on the website, renewbreakupbootcamp.com. Awesome. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much. That is a wrap on our episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I want to give a big shout out to Amy Chan for being our awesome guest this week. I'm going to link all of her stuff in show notes and I'm going to add her new book, Breakup Bootcamp, to our Biggie Problems Amazon list. If you don't know what that is, I actually have an Amazon list in show notes for every book that's ever been mentioned on this podcast. So if you're looking for some new great reads over the holidays, check out that list in show notes. Also, if you want to dive a little bit deeper, come hang out in the Big Kid Problems Facebook group. I'd love to hear what you guys got out of this episode and keep the combo going. As always, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. There are so many podcasts out there. So I do truly appreciate you spending your time with me. And if you haven't done so already, please make sure you're subscribed to this show and leave a little two-second review. Literally a sentence or two makes a huge, huge difference and I would greatly appreciate it. All right. That is all for this week, folks. We only have a couple episodes left this year. So I hope to see you back here next week for a brand new episode. Oh, and I almost forgot our weekly quote. I'm taking this one right out of Amy Chan's book. She says, our greatest lesson in this lifetime is to practice opening our hearts even when it hurts, especially when it hurts. Ooh, love it. Love you all. Have a great week and I will see you next Tuesday. 